Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Football Social Daily. Premier League Update. Hello, happy Monday. This is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast. I'm Jim Salverson. That's Noel McCorn. Hello. That's Steve McNaughton. Hello. And today is Blue Monday in the <laughs> UK. Scientifically the most depressing day of the year, but it doesn't feel very much like a Blue Monday. If anything, it's a Red Monday, Steve, yeah. as Liverpool take a step closer to winning their first league title in 30 years. Can we now concede that it is a done deal? We'll get onto that very, very shortly. We're also going to be taking a look back over the weekend's action and deciding who is our Kate Middleton and who is our Meghan Markle. In other words, <laughs> we'll be picking our heroes and our villains from the weekend's Choppy Premier League action. Here, Jim. Choppy water. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about transfer gossip. Get it whilst it's hot. We're going to be walking the lads through the back pages of the papers for the latest news and views and rumours that are doing the rounds, including the latest on the Bruno Fernandes deal, a new striker for Spurs and Arsenal actually signing a player that potentially they might need maybe we'll talk about that soon as well but let's talk first about Liverpool and the end of a very 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 long wait for a league title Steve 2-0 win over Manchester United on Sunday it means that Jurgen Klopp's men are now 16 points clear at the top of the table certainly the Anfield crowd at the final whistle seem to believe that it's a done deal come on Steve it's time to admit it. It's, it's done. Not, it's it's over. Yet. It's dusted. It's, it's not won. Over yet. I think, you know, yesterday, great atmosphere in the ground. Um, you know, it very much like a Champions League to begin with. You know, United getting a lot of a hassle off the Liverpool fans when they were on the ball, and I think that rattled them a little bit. But I think, you know, you, you win your you win your game in hand. You know, to take it to nineteen points, and you're thinking actually it might be on. Um, but I, I'd like to see <laughs> 19 points yeah. in it might be, be a remarkable on. capitulation <laughs> yeah. if you don't I, win it I just think that you know I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, you know on the WhatsApp like I do most days and I said the holy grail is 17 or 18 points the gap you know for Liverpool and uh, you know as we kind of <laughs> As we head towards, you know, potentially being 19 clear, you, you start to kind of think, hold on a minute, you know, it might be something special. But I think it'd be f- 
folly of us to kind of just uh, on the 20th of January say, well, it, it's done and dusted. It's there's ridiculous. A lot, there's a lot, it is. Uh, I don't believe there is a single Liverpool fan that... I don't believe you're telling me the truth. I don't believe there is a single Liverpool fan that genuinely believes it's still an open competition. I don't believe Jurgen Klopp, for whatever he says in press conference, believes it's still... A competition. It's just what you have to say at this stage, right? Well, no, I just think there's a danger of being complacent. It's a it's a really tough league. You know, whichever team you, you play in the Premier League, you know they get chances. I mean, even even that Man United team had a couple of chances yesterday. Um, you know, and anything can happen in a football match. And I think, you know, even though we've been, you know, it's fair to say, you know, we've had a uh, not a great run with injuries last few months with the build up of games and stuff like that. You know, you know if Allison goes out again, or if Van Dijk gets injured, or you know, Sadio Mane gets injured. You know, the the possibility of losing a few games okay, is. Are Spurs going to finish second in the Premier League? No, they're seventeen points off second. Are they? Yeah, yeah, but is... they're a bit <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is mind games, isn't it? No, you've got to be with me on this one. This is a Jurgen Klopp knows what he's doing, and I think it would be like Steve says, folly to come out and say that. Yeah, we've sewn it up. We've done it. I think that's the sort of thing. Maybe. Kevin Keegan will do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a manager from years gone by might have done that. I don't think Jurgen Klopp is cut from that sort of cloth, to be perfectly honest with you. And he says, you know, the only moment you can really taste it is is when the final whistle goes on that final game and you've got your hands on the trophy. And, you know, that that's as cliche bell as you can get from Jurgen Klopp, to be honest. They've got a great chance of doing it. 16 points clear. Manchester City drew at the weekend against Crystal Palace, which is obviously going to help Liverpool out. Leicester drop points as well. So, you know, Liverpool, they've got it all in their hands and they have only got themselves to blame if it doesn't go their way this mm. season. They've put the hard yards in. I predicted at the start of the season, thankfully I didn't put it on social media like a, a lot of the guys on the Sports Social <laughs> did, thankfully. I predicted Liverpool to finish third this season. Yeah. I thought I thought, so the, I, I thought the drama of last season... I thought that it was just going to take yeah? the steam out of them. Champions League, being so close in the league, I thought the, the drama and the, the energy expended in last season... Mm was going to be too much for them. Yeah, How wrong was I? So, I mean, I'm happily being proved wrong by a Liverpool team who have really had three years in the development. Mm. So let's not forget that. I think there may be a little bit of a placebo effect here because Liverpool have beaten their old rivals, Manchester United. Some supporters are getting carried away. Manchester United aren't the force they used to be. I think we all knew that. Yeah. Dreadful. If, it was, if dreadful. they had beaten Manchester City 2-0 in that vein, I think everyone can be going, all right, it's ours mm. now. But let's not temper it with the fact. I know it's a derby game and Manchester United never lie down in these sorts of games. But you have just beaten a team who are going to struggle to get into the Champions League spots this season. I think we're seeing the flip side of that as well with the reaction from United fans. The fact they've lost to Liverpool has amplified this result at the weekend into a lot of negativity towards mm. the club and Solskjaer, which I'm sure we'll get on to very soon. But right, question before we move on to the heroes and villains. There's two potential fantastic scenarios for when, or in your case, if... Liverpool do win the <laughs> You won't title. get it out of me. <laughs> you could win it at Goodison. You could win it at the Etihad Stadium. So for it to happen at Goodison, essentially Liverpool and City need to currently keep on winning at the rate they're winning. So Liverpool need to win at 2.9 points a game, which obviously is impossible, <laughs> but you know what I mean? And City need to win at 2.08 points per game. If that continues, it means you win the title on the 14th of March at Goodison Park. If City don't slip up and Liverpool keep on winning and being as ruthless as they are, you'll win it on the 4th of April at the Etihad Stadium. Is there a preference there? Instantly, either of those dates is the earliest the Premier League title has ever been won. Well, do you want to know something weird? And I was thinking about this yesterday. So that's 52 games at Anfield unbeaten for Liverpool, which is a remarkable record. It's the third longest record of being undefeated at home in Premier League history. 
So they're, they're doing an unbelievable job. I think Arsenal and Chelsea are the other two teams in that. I'm not 100%. But what's remarkable is I don't think, personally, this Liverpool team is as good to watch, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, than the Manchester City team that got 100 points a couple yeah. of seasons ago. But just personally, I don't think it is. That's just a personal preference. I thought Liverpool were better to watch last season. I think this season there's been moments where you think, mm, is it, have they really got it about them? They're just a winning machine. They've been incredibly professional this But this season. is the remarkable thing. Liverpool could get 107 points this season or 106 <laughs> points or something like that. In a side that we're saying, okay, they're not as good as they were the season yeah. before. Well, they are as good, but they don't look as good. So that's that's an incredible thing to be able to say that Liverpool could possibly eclipse Manchester City's record of Centurions by two wins. That is, that's an unbelievable 106, statistic. 107 points will never be beaten. No, 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 never. That's it. It's madness. Yeah. But that's obviously if they win all the rest of their games, yeah, which is highly unlikely, but mm. it's always a possibility. So go on, Etihad or the or Goodison, Steve? Which one are you picking? Obviously, there's a lot of other places it can happen yeah, as well. It, it, I mean, it's a tough one because, first and foremost, like I say, we've got to do it first. Um, but, you know, uh, it must be annoying for the podcast listeners to hear me keep saying yeah. this on it. But I do apologise, but I'm just Not being a bit just pragmatic. <laughs> the host as well. Um, but I think it's a funny one because, you know, Everton were last season when we drawn at Everton, you know, we had a guy on from the podcast, uh, one of the podcast saying you know we we stopped Liverpool winning the league which was a ridiculous shout um, but it'd be nice to kind of do it in front of Everton's fans but the, the reality is Everton aren't that significant to us anymore I mean the local derby you know it's a bit feisty and it can be a bit tasty and stuff like that but Everton you know do, do they, are they really of a massive concern to Liverpool anymore I don't think they are in all honesty um, that could change in a few years new stadium Ancelotti bedding in and mm. you know another few hundred million quid spent and um I think it'd be nice to do it at Man City and take their crown off them at the uh, you know their ground, but obviously that means we've got to win at the Etihad yes. uh, to do it. And you know, I think y- y- your motivation if you're a Man City player and Pep in that dressing room before the you know kickoff is saying you cannot let it happen in front of our fans yeah. because that'd be you know the ultimate insult really uh, you know to go and do it. And I think even though we probably have two two thousand people in the Etihad in in that kind of you know bottom corner. Um, you know, there'd be a party there, you know, and the atmosphere mm. and the vibe will, will, will be amazing. But I think I'd like to, to if we are going to do it, and obviously, what, we're three months away, two and a half months away from that point, it'd be nice to do it at the Etihad if, if we are going to win it. You haven't lost a game yet. Are you asked about Invincibles or not? I don't give a <laughs> about that, to be fair. <laughs> uh, you know, go. I think... As long as you win it's, it. You know, you talk about this Arsenal Invincibles and... The fact that um, I've just got someone in the studio next door flashing obscenities at me, uh, you know. But I think I, I'm not bothered about that because the, the way I see it with the with the Invincibles, you know, the amount of games they're drawn on on the, you know route to, yeah. to that 49 game stretch, yeah. it, it, twice it, against Portsmouth, yeah, exactly. They're, <laughs> they're, they're the most important results out of that, <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. So, and you know, as, as evidence to where it would be nice for the title to be won, the person who was flashing obscenities on his phone, he had a swear uh, had a swear word written on his phone who happens to be a Manchester City fan. Yeah. So it shows what that yeah. would mean. Do you know what's quite interesting? And I'm going to have a go with him now. <laughs> uh, because, you know, when, when, when Man City uh, have won the last couple of titles and stuff like that, generally a, a position from the Liverpool fan base is like, great team, Pip does better than us, you know, over the, over the course of the season deserve to win the title now if Liverpool I'm not sure about that Steve yeah well I'm from, not sure certainly that from the, the people that I've seen okay, anyway right. so you know obviously I can't speak for globally yeah. but from the Man City fans that I know it's like oh 
hashtag tainted title, <laughs> Liverpool, you know, and all that. And it just lacks a bit of class, I think, uh, if I'm honest. All right, well, let's move on to heroes and villains from the weekend. I'll tell you what, we'll do the... Do you want to do heroes first or villains first? Well, I've got a list of about six of each. Good, because so I've not right. even I've, thought of any. I'm ready to <laughs> rattle through as right. many. Well, I'll um, tell you what, we'll do, we'll do heroes, then we'll take a little break and we'll come back and do villains, all right? So have you got a load... No, you can start with your heroes. Well, I've got some honourable mentions, uh, and then there is one true hero at the end. Jack Grealish for pretty much yeah. single-handedly dragging Aston Villa through this season. He's having an amazing season. Did you season. see that stat yesterday? I haven't seen it, no. 41% of Aston Villa's goals this come season Grealish. have come through. You know, he's been an integral part That's of that insane. happening. Which is insane. Yeah, brilliant. So fair play to Jack Grealish. Yeah. Could easily have been my hero this week, but uh, it wasn't to be. Jose Mourinho for being the petty man that we all know he is <laughs> by saying Pep Guardiola obviously doesn't enjoy football because he's lost all of his hair. He's bald, which means obviously his football isn't enjoyable, whereas I've got a full thatch of grey hair, so therefore my football style is more important. Yeah, but Jose, well, you've got like a you know, ton gravel delivery bags under your eyes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Know, you only have to look at me and Steve. We're similar ages, and Steve clearly enjoys his football as a Liverpool fan more than I do as a West Ham fan. I've got a full head of hair. Steve's got nothing on top. So that clearly doesn't work from Jose Mourinho's well, point I'm of view. just trying to decide whether that's an insult or what. <laughs> it's a fact. Oh, no. Look at this. Look at this idiot next door in the studio yeah, next door trying to, you know, hijack the podcast. The Manchester City fan is now holding up a phone with champions. is <laughs> written on it. <laughs> champions for the time being. Asterisk on yeah, the end of yeah. there. Good pettiness from Jose. Always like to see that. Yep. You talk about 41% of Villa's goals coming through Grealish. What about... Adama Traore, who's added an end product to his game at Wolverhampton yeah. Wanderers, coming back from 2-0 down against Southampton to win the game 3-2, two assists from Adama, who's just an absolute monster of a man. Yeah. I mean, you you don't want to be going into a 50-50 with him. You don't know if you're going to come out the other side. There were rumours about him being linked to West Ham a couple of seasons ago when he was still at Middlesbrough, and yeah. he was deemed not to have an end product, and we didn't sign him, and he's one of the signings. I look at all the players across the league now, and he is one of the most exciting yeah. players. He's, he's got, he'll be gone in summer, though. So, I mean, you know, he was their record signing and he's finally starting to come good for Wolves. But Raul Jimenez, for me, is the real hero of Wolves. 27 goal involvements in all competitions this season. That breaks down as 18 goals and nine assists, which is more than any other person since the start of last season's Premier League. So it's absolutely brilliant statistics from him. But here's my hero for this week, Erling Haaland at Borussia Dortmund. Showing Premier League clubs what they've missed out on. He comes on. As a substitute for Dortmund, they're two goals behind in their Bundesliga match against Augsburg. In 23 minutes, he scored a hat-trick on his debut, an absolute tornado of a hat-trick as well, just charging at the defence. By all means, there's a lot of space in behind Augsburg's back line, but he exploited it and took his chances, and they ended up going on to win the game by five goals to three. He's 19 years old. Mm. 19! I think we're all forgetting just how good he could possibly be and um, I hope we do see him in the Premier League in future. So maybe the one that got away, but I know it's not Premier League focused directly, but certainly Haaland for me showed exactly what he could be in the future. There's a lot of talk about Haaland needing development as well and him not being the complete player yet. I mean, he's proving on a regular basis that he is. So often we see young players make the wrong moves in their career. Mm. I mean, you could argue we've seen it with Wilfred Zaha, who went to Manchester United maybe a bit early. Yeah. Uh, it's too early to write Moyes Keane off, but maybe going to Everton, was that the yeah. correct move for him? I think mm. getting out of Italy probably was, but to Everton, was that right for him? We've seen players move early doors and it's not really worked out for them. This lad, I think Dortmund, is the absolute perfect yeah, fit for him. 
just the way that they play football. They've got a focal point up front in a number nine. They've got dynamic players out wide. Jaden Sancho. I mean, imagine Sancho providing assists and Brandt on the other side providing assists for Haaland. It's it's just a scary thought, mm. to be honest. They so always do it Dortmund as well, on. don't they? They always kind of find these young players and... And, you know, they get a team going where they're playing attractive football and they're doing well in domestically and in Europe. And and I think I seen him come on and I thought, wow, he, he was like a bulldozer yeah. at, at the weekend. And, and there's a lot of teams that just cannot cope with his physicality. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think when you've got the likes of, you just mentioned Sancho and, and Julian Brandt, you know, I mean, you've got to add Marco Royce into the mix as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's just... Superb, and I think even though the financials of that deal were obviously quite murky and, and did put off Man United in particular, mm. I mean, why, why would you, you go into Man United in the current state that it's in? Because he would have been one of the four guys that's ultimately going to have to finger pointed at him. And I think, you know, fair play to the lad, fair play to him, really happy for him. The only potential negative I think he might face in the future is because of his build. And when you get these great big young players, they do tend to suffer with injuries right. as, as long they as he, develop when they play too much football. As long as he still looks like a big baby, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no one's going no to question his age. Yeah. I'll tell you what, dortmund Augsburg sounds like a great game as well. I went to that game a couple of seasons ago and it was 4-3. Really? So the fact that there's a 5-3 this season, if you're going to go to a Bundesliga game, that is clearly the game to go to because it is obviously a goal fest every time. I mean, well, Dortmund haven't been as good as they want to be in the Bundesliga this season so far, so maybe Haaland is the tonic they need mm-hmm. to try and get themselves back up to the top end of the league. Incredible. If you are going to go and sample a European <laughs> football game, though, Going to visit Borussia Dortmund is highly recommended. It's I thought one you were going to say go things. to Anfield then. I was yeah. like, steady on, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the same, best same places, same, same uh, best places the I've ever watched a yeah. football match. Agreed. Uh, German football, I'm a big fan of. No cues for the beer either, which is even better. Mm. All right, my hero from the weekend, before we take a break, then we'll do villains afterwards, is... Could have easily been a villain, I guess, but it was one of my favourite moments from the weekend's football. It was Steve Cook for his handball against Norwich because I think Come it is just on. the... Per- I just love moments in football like that. Now, Cook's apologised to everyone in the Bournemouth dressing room since because it was on the 24th minute it was or something It was in the 33rd like minute. Third it minute, was nil-nil. Nil. What pull- are you doing, pulled Steve off- Cook? Pulled off a save that any goalkeeper would be absolutely thrilled to have made. To do it before VAR is a stupid decision. To do it once VAR has been introduced... It is a ridiculous decision, but the keeper, uh, the referee didn't need to refer to VAR at all because it was such a blatant handball he got sent straight off. But I really, I enjoyed it as a footballing moment. And you know what? There's a little part of me. It was stupid, yeah. And the, without him trying to save the ball with his hand, it would have been a goal. It was a penalty, so it was pretty much a goal anyway. Then Bournemouth had to play the rest of the game with 10 men. But... Kind of the flip side of that is... So if, you've, you've gained absolutely nothing. If Bournemouth are going to stay in the Premier League... If Bournemouth are going to stay in the Premier League... Which they're not. <laughs> they need that kind of player. Yeah, but, do it in the 93rd minute when you're 1-0 up. Don't do it in the 33rd minute when you're going 1-0 down and you've got an hour to try and level the game up. It's just pure stupidity. It's desperation from Steve Cook is what it is. Which is he a bit could, worrying, isn't he, it, if you're Bournemouth players are that And especially considering early. before the game against Norwich, who are another team in the bottom three, of course, so I think Bournemouth were feeling the pressure, Cook said, we need to give the town of Bournemouth something to be proud about. Well, there you go. <laughs> There's something to be proud about. Superman dive and punch the ball around the post when you're a centre-back. Build a statue of him yeah. diving, in my view. I think yeah. it was a great moment. I really enjoyed uh, it. Possibly, possibly Hero is a bit strong. Mm. But I, well, I see really where you're it. going with it. Like yeah. that. But uh, f- for me, I, I, I mean, it'd be no surprise. Um, I'm going to nominate someone who has 
you know, gets his first share of bad press for, for no reason whatsoever. He, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves from people. And I, I'm going to nominate Jordan Henderson. Uh, I just think that in the last 12 months, the guy has been absolutely superb. And I think since, since you know, we, we lost that Champions League final to Madrid, uh, he, his, his game has gone up another level uh, for me. And I think he carries himself with great dignity. He's really good kind of, you know, post-match, pre-match. And, and he's delivering on the pitch. I mean, anyone who thinks he's not in any form of the team of the season for me, I, I just think I just can't see it. And I think, you know, yesterday was the culmination of, of that for me. And I think big up Jordan Henderson. One of those players that's not very fashionable to give exactly. credit to. Yeah, exactly. And when you look at him and what he does on the pitch and the influence that he has on that, on, you know, that Liverpool team. And I, I just like salute his resilience and the fact that he just keeps kind of showing up and, you know, he doesn't let these people get into his head and, you know, he's got this really kind of like titanium-like mentality, you know, to go and do it. And because there's a lot of pressure that comes with that armband at that club and I think that he's just, he's going to find himself in really esteemed company. A friend of mine said that he thought Jordan Henderson had a good World Cup in Russia. I thought he had a stinking tournament. I thought he was awful. Jordan Henderson against Croatia in the semi-final. He was shocking. But Steve's right. Ever since then... He's been brilliant. Ever since that summer, he's obviously sat down, taken stock. He obviously didn't like losing the semi-final mm. in the World Cup, which obviously no one would. Didn't like losing the Champions League final, obviously no one would. And he's definitely gone on and, and progressed his game and he's improved massively. So yeah, I would agree. It speaks volumes, doesn't it, for you know the, the sports psychology side of, 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 well, of any sport really, whether you're, whether you're an MMA fighter or a boxer or a, mm. you know, or a footballer. When you decide to invest in your mindset and, and you know, get that as strong as your skills on the pitch, I think the results are, are there to see. And I think... You know, he's he, he's really like like Niles just said. You know, them things rankled with him. I think, and he thought, mm. of how do I get to the next level? And he's probably identified that as a potential weakness in his game. And he's just gone and and worked on it with with people that can help him get to that. And it's just the, the transformation in the last twelve months has been incredible. And I'd be rewarded with a Premier League title at the end of the season. Well, who knows, Steve? mate? <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back in a minute and do the really fun bit of heroes and villains, which is of course the villains. And we'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League updates. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Right, we're going to get stuck into the villains part of Heroes and Villains. I'm going to go first on this one because my villain nomination from the weekend is Arsenal fans. (laughs) All of them. God. Now, I know we've got a healthy portion of Arsenal fans that listen to the podcast particularly stateside so I'm risking alienating 50% of our audience here pretty much and, and just, just before Jim goes off on one thanks for listening we've yeah. appreciated your support throughout <laughs> exactly. the last 12 yeah, yeah, months yeah. of the podcast Look, if I'm wrong please this, don't leave us if I'm calling this wrong completely then get me on the Twitter at the sports social and let me know have a right to reply but from what I'm seeing at the moment at Arsenal already into Mikel Arteta's reign as the new manager the crowd are beginning to turn, which is absolute madness. The fact there is this toxicity already creeping into the Emirates Stadium and particularly Mm. Arsenal Twitter. And I know Twitter is no barometer of social Such a lovely place, though. It's just a ridiculous place. But yeah, the fact that even at this stage, when, for me, I look at the Arsenal team on the pitch and the results aren't quite going the way that maybe a lot of Arsenal fans would have hoped when a new manager came in. No, they're having a terrible season, let's be yeah. honest. And they're drawing a lot of games. I mean, but I think the signs that, are there, Yeah, you? exactly. That's it. There has been a progression. There has been a rise in effort levels from everyone on the pitch. There does seem like the players, and it's a 
cliche. It, it seems like the players care a little bit more. Performances from key players like Pepe. Pepe looks like a different player since Arteta has come in. And mm. I think the green shoots the there. the at the weekend? Yeah. Stunning. It just it looks like the player they bought, the mm. player they wanted to spend whatever they seventy five million quid on. But yeah. the green shoots are there, and if Arsenal fans keep on turning on managers six months into the job and oust them and get a new boy in, then there's never going to be any progression at that football club, and the old problems will keep on rearing their heads again and again. So if you are one of the people using Arteta out on Twitter or booing from the Emirates crowd or ranting on Arsenal mm. TV, give your head a wobble because he will come good Arteta I'm convinced the signs are there and he just needs more time my question to the Arsenal fans listening to the podcast and obviously we appreciate him listening in and and checking us out and subscribing and stuff like that what is it you think you should be getting you know what I mean And, and, and where does it come from you know because You've got a young manager who's worked with Pep Guardiola for the last, what, three or four years? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's very clearly trying to implement his footprint on on a squad that has its problems. And there is discipline problems at Arsenal. It's very clear that that's the case. And slowly but surely, he is is trying to recreate something, a, a, a monster of a football club. Not one of the biggest in Europe, but still a monster of a football club. What is it that's making you boo? You know what? What is it that's make it? Is it that you know the fact that you think you should be challenging for the title? Well, let mm. me tell you, Arsenal fans, you're nowhere near. You are light years away from it. So we can take that out the out the equation. Is it the fact that you're not winning Champions Leagues because there's probably what got, 10, 12 better teams in Europe than you got to one final in their history? Exactly. So so you can't. You're not entitled to win the Champions League, and or, or, and you're not going to win the Premier League. Domestically, can you win the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup? Is that what's really kind of annoying you? The fact that you're not having your day out at Wembley? Is that what it comes down to? Because but that was never enough. Under under under, under, under Wenger, the FA Cup wasn't enough. But won it two seasons in a row, didn't they? You've got to, to be realistic about where you are. Mm. You know, and, and it, you know, they've bought poorly, I mm. think, Arsenal over, over the years. And... They've, they're not famous for anything on the pitch. You know, it's not for like kind of free-flowing football. It's not being kind of defensively sound. Um, not so, anymore anyway. So, not so, since the days of yeah, the of Adams and Bold and, and, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and so on and so forth. So you've got to start somewhere, I suppose, is what I'm saying. And I think, you know, I look at, uh, you know, when, when Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool, I think we finished eighth in his first You gave season. him a good three years, like I was saying earlier, in the yeah, first part of the podcast. Know, it's but, taken three years to generate Liverpool into what they are now. But you've, but you've got to go on the journey, though, Niall, haven't you? Sure. You know what I mean? You've Absolutely. got to kind of go. If that's the promised land, mm. we've we, we've got through thick, thin, whatever, we've, we've got to stick with it. What you can't do to a young manager who's gone in and who will turn the ship, I think... You can't start booing him after he when he's five or six games into his tenure uh, because you've drawn at home against Sheffield United. Because the reality is, Arsenal fans, that's where you are in the mm. scheme of things. Mm. And uh, I think you know what I, mean? I think the promising signs are there, not just from a managerial point of view, but yeah. I think from an ownership point of view as well. And the Cronkies get a bad rap. And when you compare them to the other villainous owners of the Premier League, like Ashley or the Glazers or the Davids, then they are he they 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 are the one ownership that seems to be listening mm. that seems to want to build something at that yeah. football club and it hasn't yeah. always been that case but well, certainly again there's green shoots there green I think they realise the lower down the Premier League table they finish and out of the Champions League the less money they get it's as simple as that I think yeah. it's as easy as that and I'll try and have a stab at, at Steve's questions here I think obviously <laughs> football supporters now in the Premier League we are increasingly impatient in a world this is going to sound philosophical now but in a world where everything's on demand 
You can get your favourite TV show instantly. You can, you know, you can order a drink at a table in a pub and it's delivered to you immediately. You don't even have to go up to the bar anymore. Where in a world where everything's instant, success also falls under that moniker. We want success to be instant. I think Arteta, being a former servant of the club and a good one at that, is going to get more grace amongst the supporters. I also think the second part of what I'm trying to say is the Emirates has always been a bit of a stronghold for Arsenal. Their home record across the however many was it now 14 years they've been at the Emirates has been generally pretty damn good. Mm. Uh, as a home side, very, very rarely do they get beaten. It's their away form this season and last season, which has been the real issue for Arsenal. I think Unai Emery was expected to come in and hit the ground running a lot better than he has done. I think Steve's right. I think there was definitely underlying attitude problems amongst the players. However, I saw an interview with David Luiz after Arteta's first game. And he was stood there and they had just won the game and he was stood there with his microphone in his hand and he was kind of looking at the floor and he was going, no, we know we've not done enough for Arsenal Football Club. We know we're building something strong. We need to turn it around. And that was kind of a penny dropping moment for me watching him speak like that, thinking, well, OK, you know, you get this. You're part of the cause. And I think this is what Arteta needs to focus on is the fact that as long as he's got the players on side which he's very very good at by the way mm. apparently Manchester City have lost a massive asset in Arteta the amount of coaching that he used to do one with Pep with Dallas, yeah. credited a lot right. for Sterling's success is, is remarkable apparently Arteta was the one on the training ground pulling the strings day to day and Pep was the man who kind of oversaw it all so they have got a big big talent in terms of coaching in, in Mikel Arteta I just think Arsenal fans need to curb their expectations as Steve says, go on the ride. It takes time. They will come back. They will come back strong. Football goes in cycles. It's very embryonic for sure. And I mm. think that the squad does need a regeneration. I <clears> fear <throat> for them if Aubameyang doesn't stick around. I really do. I just wonder you know, where the goals are coming from there. But, you know, there's, there's optimism there. There's optimism. We've seen likes of Bukayo Sacco come through as well. You know, young players. Martinelli's young with a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Gendouzi's an excellent player, having a good season as well. Yeah. Another young star. So they've got plenty of potential there. Yeah. And I think, like you say, with the way Arteta's worked with some of the players at Manchester City and kind of tra- transformed them with a, with a lot less credit than what Guardiola gets, I think Arsenal fans have a reason to be excited. Just, you're 11th in the table. You're not going to win anything this season. Just take it on the chin. Have a good summer. Get some good players in. And who knows what might happen next season. Arsenal fans, chill the f- out, Do you know words. what? Also, I'd add to it just to, before we move no, on. No, we're not going to add anything, Steve, because we're running out of time. We need to give some more. So I'm not going to okay. let. I'm not going to let you add anything. You can save <laughs> it for another time because we've got more villains to get through before we get onto the villain of Steve's email notifications, which is, <laughs> seems to be chirping away in the background of this podcast. Is it, I can't even hear it. So, I can hear someone's email notifications. Uh, Maybe it's mine. Uh, no, who are your villains? Okay, so I've got three villains on the list, but one sort of bona fide villain. Um, Steve's going to uh, grimace at me for this. Jamie Carragher for the most cringy piece of commentary I've heard on Sky Sports in a long time. Mo Salah, you little dancer. You've already used that one, mate. You can't use it again. You just can't. Every time Salah scores a goal, you're going to go, Mo Salah, you little dancer. It's like embarrassing. Anyway, also Alisson wearing trackies. It was four degrees in Liverpool yesterday. Great ball for Salah's second goal. Stop wearing tracksuit bottoms. Sadio Mane was from Senegal. It's 36 degrees in Senegal in January. It's four degrees in Liverpool. He wasn't wearing trackies. He wasn't wearing gloves. You're from Brazil, Alisson. It's 22 degrees at the moment. It's not that cold. Four degrees. You can deal with it, mate. Glorified Gabor Kirai, but good good assist, and he's having a good season, so I'll temper that a little bit. The real villain for me is the Newcastle United corner flag. I don't know if you've seen this. But after Isaac Hayden secured the smash and grab for Newcastle in the 94th minute against Chelsea, Matt Ritchie ran over to the corner flag, booted it, 
and it went spinning into the crowd and smashed a poor unsuspecting gentleman straight in the testicles. So the villain is the Newcastle United St James's Park corner flag. Fair enough, you can have that. Steve, you've got a villain to add to the mix? Oh, I've got a couple of villains, Jim. Uh, One of them's me for slagging off Alison. Yeah, I mean, obviously, shots have been fired by Niall, so our... uh... You know, our relationship is going to suffer as a result of that. <laughs> We're just battling it out for the best home record in England this season. Portsmouth exactly, and Liverpool. Mate, exactly. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple just touching on. The, so what I did, I watched it back last night when I got here and you talked about the commentary. Martin Tyler, gee, I cannot stand the man. Um, I think, you know, be <laughs> please get Peter Drury in because his commentary is is insanely good. But anyway, um, my, my villain is, is David De Gea. Uh, for yesterday, Ooh. and um, David de Gea. Let, let, let me kind of qualify. What was he this wearing first. on the lower half of his body? Uh, I mean, God, I mean, what's all that about? <laughs> you know, um, not trackies. Uh, yeah, they probably can't. You probably found a spat, mate. Not He's trackies. got Alison <laughs> has got photos of Gabor Kirai on his bedroom wall. I'm convinced. <laughs> so for me, David de Gea, uh, world class goalkeeper on his mm. day. Uh, you know, being played in the season a few times at United, hasn't he? Even um, even right uh, across uh, him and Luke Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, when when Liverpool scored the second goal yesterday, which was absolutely bonkers that it was ruled out by VAR, he has um, you know he's been up in the referee's face, pointing in the referee's face, and getting in at the referee. And I think that was an attempt to disguise how weak he was in that situation. Uh, you know, he's gone up for the ball with Van Dijk. He can use his arms. Van Dijk can't use his arms, and he's just been kind of out muscled in it and. It was a bad look for him, I thought, and the way that he carried on with the referee. I mean, I thought he might have got something a bit more serious than a yellow card for that because he was really in his face, wagging his finger at him. And I just think it's, it was just a weak display all round, really. Um, and I think that he's better than that because he is a world-class keeper and he's probably in the conversation, you know, when you talk about the best keepers in the world. David De Gea is probably in there and I think, come on, son. You know, we don't need to kind of stoop to that level. I think it's one of the things I hate seeing in football is that whole surrounding the referees and trying to make them make a decision that maybe they wouldn't have made otherwise. Mm. I have questions about how effective it actually is and it's something that could easily be got rid of out of the game yeah, with a red card here and there. I do think it was a foul on David De Gea. I think any game you see, any kind of challenge on a goalkeeper now, and it is a foul. I'm not saying it should be a foul, mm. but I think by the laws of the game, it is a foul. If I'm a Manchester United fan, it's a foul. If I'm a Liverpool fan, it's never a foul in a million years. It's one of those. I genuinely think that you will get a 50-50 split on this one. I really I just think that when he's gone up and his arms haven't been, in, you know, anywhere I, near. I, I get that, and I get that. But you just you can't you can't do anything to goalkeepers anymore. No, goalkeepers yeah, well, are extremely well, well protected, yeah. aren't they? I, I suppose it. that is right, and I think it's it's you know it's the current state of the game, isn't it? You know, when you can't go up and challenge the goalkeeper, you know, in an honest situation where the ball's up in the air. That that's that's bad for the game, and I think you know it's it is what it is. I mean, you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. I suppose it kind of dispels the Liverpool myths. <laughs> you know, De Gea was adamant though, wasn't he? That it was a foul. Like, yeah. I mean, you can say maybe he was trying to disguise the fact that he felt that he had made a mistake or whatever, but he was. I've not seen him that animated ever. Whether it's a foul or not, he should have kept the ball because it wasn't. It wasn't enough contact. To, for the ball to be knocked out of his hands, hmm. it was just a body check. And it, it, was, it, yeah. it sounds a bit. I don't know what the word is. A bit aggressive for me to say this, but could De Gea have not just led with his knee? Knee, just so, get well, just see, knee Van Dyke in the back. Not 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 like knee him them. as in no, yeah, MMA you style, but I mean they bring the knee up to protect. Yeah, if he comes up with yeah. his body, yeah. Van Dyke is just basically nudged him in midair, hmm. and like you say, it doesn't look like a foul. If 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 De Gea leads with his knee like the old school goalkeepers used to be taught to do. 
then you've got a bit of protection there yeah. and there's a bit of a space between, mm. you know, I don't know, I don't want to say Van Dyke, you should have tried to injure him. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying sometimes you do have to be a bit streetwise yeah. in that situation and maybe De Gea Agreed. could have handled it differently. Agreed. Use your physicality and use your yeah. strength. He was poor and I think when he can use his arms as well in that situation as a goalkeeper, he's, he's just not covered himself in glory in that respect and his conduct I thought was terrible after it. Mm. There's your heroes and your villains from the weekend. Let's crack on and do some quick transfer newsy gossipy bits from the back page of the paper. Sky Sports reporting that Bruno Fernandes has told Sporting Lisbon he wants to join Manchester United. What's new? Is this deal going to happen? 80 million quid or whatever seems to be the 80? touted price. 80 millions, the touted price. But that seems to be the sticking point between United right. don't want to pay 80, Sporting do want 80 million pound. Is it going to actually happen at any point? I'll tell you what I know. I know that Bruno Fernandes is, was pretty much a done deal. Um, United wanted 50 million euros to sign him. Uh, Sport in Lisbon said no 60 otherwise we're not doing it okay. and then United said add-ons the add-ons were said to be unrealistic much like we saw last season with uh, another transfer that didn't Wan-Bissaka. go through Wan-Bissaka win the Champions League if he gets the Ballon d'Or if they win the Premier League then you get your extra money <laughs> Sport in Lisbon went hang on a sec we don't think that's realistic Sporting Lisbon have also been um, shafted for want of a better expression in transfers in the past where they've mm. agreed to these add-ons and I don't think they're willing to let that happen again. Also, Friday night was the Lisbon derby between uh, between Benfica and Sporting and I think they wanted to make sure that Bruno Fernandes was available for that game. Obviously, that happened on Friday night. Now we're on to Monday. There's been games over the weekend so I wouldn't read too much into the fact that it's not happening. The price tag has definitely soared though and I don't think Manchester United are willing to spend £80 million on him so I think we've definitely hit a snag there. My little so, query with this whole thing is if he is the striker that Manchester United fans think he is that he's going to go in there and solve all these problems. It's not a striker though, is he? Uh, sorry, not striker, midfielder. Oh, sorry. Why, is, um, why, are, why aren't other big European clubs going in for him? Why isn't there not this massive amount of interest in signing him if he is a player of this quality? We had Jack Gorn on from the Daily Mail on yesterday's podcast on the Premier League Review Show and he was saying that Manchester United decided against signing him in the summer because he took too many risks in possession. Mm. And now he's sort of at the top of their list, so to speak. So something must have changed between the summer and now for Manchester United to go, actually we'll go in for him again. Level so, of desperation. desperation it, maybe it's a level Jim. of desperation. Maybe it is. Manchester United are always going to be squeezed for the big bucks yeah. because of what they've spent in the past and because of who they are as a football club. I think Chelsea are the exact same. I think no matter who they go in for this January, if they do, or even in the summer, because Chelsea have a reputation of spending 50 million on Torres and 50 million here and 50 million there, clubs go, all right, well, you're in the Premier League, you're rich, we'll squeeze you for as much cash as possible. Yeah. Whereas I think Liverpool haven't really flexed their muscles in that extent, except mm. for maybe Alisson and, and Van Dyke. You can still get signings like Shakiri and Minamino for 8 million. You know, Liverpool have got that sort of nailed down, really, dialed in. That's Michael Edwards who deserves a lot of credit for that. As for Manchester United, they are always going to be squeezed for the big bucks. And whether the owners like it or not, that's just the way it's going to be. So I think if United want these players, they're going to have to pay big money. I think, like I said yesterday on the show, I think 45 million is the new 10 million of yesteryear. Mm. I think that's the way mm. it goes. Seb Haller, £40 million from the Bundesliga. Not many goals. Joel Linton, Newcastle, again from the Bundesliga. Eight goals, seven goals last season. £40 million. It's the £10 million, the £12 million of what we were seeing 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. £40 million is that new benchmark of your, of your reasonably good player. Let's talk about Arsenal. They're trying to sign a defender in the shape of Bayern Munich's 
Jerome Botang, who could be coming back to the Premier League. The idea is he'll be signed on loan and then the RB Leipzig centre-back, Deot Upamecano, Upamecano, Upamecano yes. is coming in. This is according to the star, will be coming in in the summer. Now, Upamecano seems like a more Mikel Arteta-esque signing than Jerome Botang, mm. but do we think Botang can do a job for Arsenal, shore up that defence in the short term? No. <laughs> okay. I don't. I, I don't. I genuinely don't. Uh, I think I, I'm not sure what he offers, and I think it's. I think when I think about Arteta, and we obviously we waxed lyrical about him before. Um, I just don't. It doesn't feel like an Arteta signing to me. His career's gone off a bit of a cliff during Boateng. Mm. You know, um, when he's he's not like first choice for the national team or anything, is no, he? Well, the fact that Bayern are happy to send him out on loan says quite a lot in itself. I just think Upa Meccano, Arsenal have been linked with him for the last two years. Uh, and he's got potential. He's young. Boateng brings experience. They've got the experience in David Luiz, but they knew what they were signing with David Luiz. Um, I just, I just wonder what their sort of priority is as a football club. Obviously, signing a centre back is one of the key areas for them. They do have reasonable defence. I mean, Luiz and Socrates has been all right recently. Rob Holding's probably one of their other good, yeah. better centre halves as well. Um, Mustafi's willing to be given a second chance by Arteta if you believe what the manager says. Mm. Boateng, he brings experience. I just doesn't improve can't them though, does it? See, yeah, how he how he makes Arsenal any better than they are back up now. It's defensive backup, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they've got Chambers Solace, is out for the season, which is a loss because you know I, I actually rate him. But they've got the goalkeeper. You know, they've just, they've just got to sort out that centre back position and get it nailed down because a lot of the more successful teams have a very settled purring. Mm. We're not going to discuss this one, but Inter Milan want to sign everybody, it would seem. The males say they want Christian Eriksen. Victor Moses and Oliver Giroud on their radar according to Sky Sports. Uh, Sport in Spain saying they want Luka Modric. Essentially, Inter Milan are trying to build a great team in 2015, which is nice to see. <laughs> and Tottenham, they're looking to Leicester City to sort their striker crisis, a replacement for Harry Kane. I didn't even realise that Ismail Somali, Slimani was still at Leicester City. Mm. He's on loan at Monaco, isn't he? Yeah, he's on loan at Monaco, Mm. but they want to take him on loan, apparently. Seven goals in 13 games for Monaco. Not been playing that much in the last few weeks, but he's the kind of target man that Jose Mourinho does like, and Tottenham looked really toothless against Watford. Yeah, I wonder what Jose will do about this, because I think Christoph Piatek was linked from AC Milan as well. He's not had a great season. He joined AC from Genoa for €35 million in the summer after having an unbelievable Mm. campaign. Or might have been last last January, actually, he moved there. Um, But yeah, no, he's he's been... He was brilliant last season, and he's kind of not hit the heights this season. Slimani, if he can't get in Leicester's team, why is he going to do a job for Tottenham? I don't understand it. Tottenham are offered Urente. Cheap option though, isn't it? Tottenham are offered Urente. Obviously, that's not the sort of player that Jose wants to sign because they've refused. They've, they've refused signing him back again. Mm. Uh, I just, I just don't see what Slimani. Again, it's another one who I'm very underwhelmed mm. by. Yeah, it's is not it Jose just, signing, is it just, is it? is it just classic Tottenham he trying did to pinch all the right pennies at Leicester? Didn't he? Did he? Mm, he did. was their record signing and did nothing. Mm. So I just, I just wonder what you know they see in him. Um, I think he's what is he in his thirties now as well? So you know he's he's not he's not exactly in the peak of his career. Let's just say that. I mean, you'd expect him to have been banging them in by now. I don't know, but one thing Jose needs to do: they haven't scored in three games now. Mm. Tottenham, three games in a row they've not scored, mm. so they need to score out. I do remember when Aston Villa were linked with him a couple of well, probably beginning of last week. Aston mm. Villa in there, link, being linked with most strikers that have played anything in the Premier League. But I think that he doesn't have a recall clause in his contract, right? So. Leicester can't recall him, so Monaco, in order for him to go anywhere, have to say, yeah, well, you Give can him have, him, have him back. The fact that he's not played recently 
is a sign they might do that, but I don't see why they would when mm. he is an option for him and he is scoring goals this season. That is it for Football Social Daily. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode as we are every single day during the Premier League season. Make sure you click subscribe however you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time. Cheers, boys. Cheers. See ya. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.